This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 314. So a special treat for my listeners today. I was able to get in touch with a wonderful young lady who's doing a lot of great stuff on YouTube with both photography and videography. She's a wealth of knowledge and information on compact camera systems and microphone setups for blogging and YouTube and all that good stuff. And she is going to join us on the show today. So let's say welcome to Susie Pratt. Hey, Susie. Hello. Hey, how Hi. are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Now, I didn't tell you ahead of time in the email exchange we had, but a good portion, probably about 40% of my audience is photography and videography students. So that's another reason why I wanted to have you on the show, because I haven't had anybody on yet that does a lot of the videography stuff, and you're doing tons of it on your channel on YouTube. And uh, so I wanted to have you come on and talk about it a little bit. But let's first get some background on you. How did you get into photography? Well, yeah, that's a long story. Um, so I went to school down in Tacoma, Washington, and actually studied business. I intended to you know, go into physical therapy, kind of go like the medical route, found that it wasn't really my thing. So graduated in business, uh, got a job in finance and you know, was working that for a few years out of college, but realized that I really didn't enjoy it much. So on the side, I was going to uh, concerts because here in Seattle, we have lots of concerts and live music. So so while going to concerts, I got in touch with concert photographers and just started networking with them, found a way into uh, photographing uh, concerts for music blogs, and just picked up a camera and got started. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That's cool, yeah, though. My, my, yeah, my initial photos were pretty bad. Um, I actually started off as a writer. I was going to concerts to write about them. And at some point, people were just like, hey, why don't you pick up a camera and add some photos to go along with your words? And so that's how it all started. Oh, that's totally cool. And yeah, where you live, I mean, that's oof, there's a lot of music concerts going on in that part of the country. It's a really popular, oh, yes. popular area for shows and performances with all kinds of bands and different genres of music. So it's definitely exciting. And that's one of the trickiest um, lines of photography to get into is concert photography. It's getting really, really hard anymore um, to break into that as a new photographer. So it's interesting that you were able to successfully do that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, not only hard to get into, but it's also hard to photograph because you, you know, I don't know if you know about the rules for concert photos, but you're only allowed to shoot the first three songs with no flash. And you do it usually from the front of uh, the whole stage setup, but sometimes they put you in the back. So it's pretty restrictive. And so for a long time, I knew only how to shoot in low light. I didn't know how to shoot in daylight. <laughs> so I go outside and be like, what is the sunlight? I have no idea how to not shoot in a high ISO. And so I kind of learned 
photography in reverse. I learned the hard way. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely a tricky way to learn. Yeah, um, I uh, follow, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. You might be. I followed uh, Jared Poland from Fronos Photo. He's based, yes. out of, he's based out of Philadelphia, and I grew up about two hours north of him originally in Pennsylvania. And that's mm-hmm. what he did. He shot for Rolling Stone when he first got started. And I remember him talking on his podcast about the three-song limit and having to shoot from the pit and, you know, the challenging conditions because concerts are generally always a low-light situation. So it's really Mm -hmm. tricky to get good shots without introducing a lot of noise, which is a good segue into the camera system that you're using, which is Sony. So let's hear a little bit about that. What is the current Sony model that you're using? Uh, so currently I'm using the a7 IV, which came out about a year ago. And I also have the a7R3, uh, which I just found out is discontinued. So um, I haven't had that camera terribly long, but, you know, Sony models keep coming out with new ones all the time. Um, so, yeah, I use those two uh, cameras primarily. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think uh, what happened with the a7R3 is and some of the other cameras is Sony had to phase some of their models out earlier than they had originally planned because of the the um, the limited uh, components you know being able to get the, all the supply chain issues uh, p- just coming out of COVID you know you had a lot of factories that made those parts were shut down for extended periods of time and so uh, I know I've seen a lot of news lately about Sony discontinuing various cameras in both stills and the video market just because they couldn't get parts so they're like okay well we're going to phase this one out earlier and just concentrate on the newest model Um, now it's interesting with the and I'm not saying anything bad about your cameras Sony makes fantastic cameras, but I'm really surprised. And it might be after you were doing the concert photography, because I know I've always heard that the A7S line is the best one to use for video as well as like low light photography. It's only 12 megapixels, but that means it can shoot at incredibly high ISOs without introducing a lot of noise. Mm hmm. Yeah, I've heard that as well. And, you know, the A7S3 came out before the A7 IV. So I definitely considered buying it first. Um, but it is quite a bit more expensive than the A7 IV. And so, you know, previously I had bought the A7 R3 a little bit ahead of time. And then the A7 III came out like a few months later. And so knowing that, I decided to kind of wait and see what was going to happen with the A7S line. And so I'm glad I waited because I think that the A7 IV works a little bit better for me because. You know, I think that the A7S 3 is better for video. And even though I am doing more video these days, I'm still primarily a photographer. And so for me, I kind of need those higher megapixels for the photos that I take. Yeah, and that makes sense. Absolutely. And that's the one thing I've always heard about Sony. It's like the A7R line is their high megapixel, mostly photocentric, although they can shoot video as well. They're primarily considered a photocentric camera. And then you Mm -hmm. have the A7S line, which is primarily video and low light photography. And then the A7 line, which is your A7 IV, is like a jack of all trades. It does stills Mm -hmm. with high resolution and it still does really good video as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's totally true. I am not at all sad that I got the A7 IV instead. (laughs) It's been my dream camera so far. I really, really enjoy it. Awesome. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about Sony related, because I I watched your videos, um, I thought the one choice that Sony made recently with the new lens that they just came out with, the FE 20-70 F4, I thought that was a little bit of an odd decision, only because 
you know, they touted, well, we're giving you 20 millimeters instead of a 24 to 70. But the problem is um, it doesn't have image stabilization in the lens, which kind of is a bummer because usually like Canon, they do 24 to 105 and they give you image stabilization in their F4L lens. And that's a hugely popular lens as like a jack of all trades lenses. It does great video. It can do good stills. You go fairly wide. You've got a little bit of reach at the 105. And I thought the 20 to 70 on Sony's part was a little odd only because there's no stabilization. And they're like, well, you can use the, I can't remember what they call it, like the action or something in the camera to stabilize mm -hmm. your, your, your video or your photography. But when you do that, it crops in. So you lose the 20 millimeters because it crops into 24. So mm -hmm. I'm like, why would you pay $1,100 for a 20 to 70 that actually shoots 24 to 70 when you can get a 24 to 105 for the same price and have image stabilization in it? Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, it is definitely an interesting lens choice that they've gone with. And, you know, I can't speak entirely for Sony of why they made that decision. Uh, but it sounds to me like they really wanted to keep this lens as small and compact as possible and also make it not too expensive. And so if they added image stabilization, I'm guessing that the camera would have gotten a lot bigger, maybe not a ton bigger, but big enough that it would have been less of a sell to call it a compact lens. And it probably would be more expensive. Um, but, you know, I only had that lens on loan, so I don't actually own it. I just got to try it out for about a week. Um, I actually own the 24 to 105 Sony lens. And so that is the one that I primarily use. Uh, but I will say that that 20 to 70, I do miss how much lighter it was because I do feel the weight of the 24 to 105. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I can understand that. Uh, another friend of mine, Serge Romelli, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. He's a, a French photographer. who He just moved to the United States a couple of years ago and lives in Florida now. Um, he was, he had switched, um, at one time from Canon, like I did, he went to Fujifilm GFX. So their medium mm -hmm. format system. And I shoot that as well. And he had gotten the GFX 100 S because he loved the 102 megapixels for landscapes. Cause he does tons of that stuff. And I guess on a recent trip, his GFX 100 S got stolen. Ooh. And so he filed his insurance claim. And when he got the money from his insurance, he decided because he said the whole setup with the GFX and the lenses was a bit too heavy to carry on the road all the time. He went to Sony and mm -hmm. he he was telling me that now his 24 to 105 F4 with image stabilization is like his workhorse lens. He uses that mm -hmm. like 90 percent of the time. Um, and so it sounds like you have a good you have a good um a good lens in that one as well, because it's so versatile. You've got the 24 on the wide end. You've got the 105 for a little bit of reach. It doesn't give you tons of reach, uh, but it does make it an extremely logical lens to use, because if you look at it, you've got in that range, you've got 50 millimeters, which some people like to use for portraits. You've got 85 millimeters, which is popular for portraits. And then you've got 105 millimeters, which is also popular for portraits. So you're covering three major portrait focal lengths in that one lens. Plus, you get the 24 millimeter for landscapes. 
Yeah, I um, actually only bought the lens maybe a few months ago. And so uh, before that, I did have a 24 to 70, uh, the F4 version. And so I'd use that for you know a couple of years. Uh, but then I found that just 70 millimeters wasn't quite enough. And so I've been trying out the 105 uh, millimeters on the long end. And you know it's not a 200 millimeters, but considering how much smaller and lighter and less expensive it is compared to a 70 to 200, I don't mind. Like I really do. I like that 24 to 105 range a lot. Yeah, it seems to be a really popular focal length in lenses. I would say, I know if you know anything about lenses and photography, the history of them, the 70 to 200 28 is like the most popular lens that's ever been manufactured, no matter who makes it. More of that lens is sold in the photography world than any other lens, period. But the 24 to 70, super popular because it's a good videography lens. But then you get the others that are more into the 24 to 105 like you because they want that little bit of extra reach. So most of the videographers I talk to are either shooting the 24 to 70, F4 or F2.8, or the 24 to 105. So that tells a lot about those two focal formula lenses that they're, that they're that popular with so many videographers. Yeah, and it was mainly, um, you know, I still do photography. And so um, that was why I stuck with 24 to 70 for so long. But as I've been doing more videography and talking to more videographers, they've pretty much told me the same thing. They're like, you know, for a little bit of extra weight and money, just go with a 24 to 105. It's for video. They say it's a lot more uh, flexible, versatile. And so far, I have to agree with that. It works really well for both photo and video. Absolutely, it does. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I've had 24 to 105 for most of the years I've shot. I've been, I'm an old fart. I've been doing photography for about 32 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I started out in the film days and uh, oh, all that adventure. That's why I won't shoot film anymore. I, I still love film. I'm nostalgic for it, but I don't mm -hmm. like dealing with the developing and all that garbage. I got away from doing my own dark room and all that stuff a long time ago. And I yeah. don't have any desire to go back to it. <laughs> it's a <laughs> lot of expense. Did, yeah. It's a lot of chemicals. You know, you get your fingertips get all messed up from the from the developing chemicals that you have to use. And uh, mm -hmm. it's like it's so much better to just have digital. So yeah. so I know you're doing your your social media stuff, especially your YouTube, which is fantastic. I mean, your channel's been growing pretty steadily since I've been following you, which is fantastic. Um, but when it comes to photography, what are you principally shooting now? Is it still concert stuff or have you branched out into other areas? So, yeah, I branched out. I did concerts for almost 10 years. Um, I tried to count the amount of bands that I've shot and I've just, I lost count. It's it's in the hundreds, maybe <laughs> even up to a thousand. And wow. so, you know, I, I had a great time doing it. Uh, I did it mostly in my twenties. And so in my twenties, that was, it was a really great thing to do. But after a while, it's like, you know, I've shot this band like more times than I can remember. And even though they're really fun, I'm getting a lot of the same shots and just, yeah, I just, it was a nice phase of my life that I was kind of ready to to move on and do something else. And so I don't really do concerts so much anymore, uh, but I transitioned over to food and restaurant, which has been really fun. And I still also do a lot of corporate events. Oh, so, so that's the cool. two things that I do. Yeah. So with the food and restaurant, what, what are you primarily doing on that in that genre of your photography? Uh, so it's mostly uh, interiors of new restaurants or older restaurants if they just want to show off what the insides look like. And then uh, sometimes chef portraits and uh, menu photos. So it's nice. It's like a pretty good mix of different types of photography, all like in the same building and all within the same photo shoot usually. Oh, yeah. So you're actually doing a little bit of food photography then now. 
Yeah, yeah. I actually, yeah. Um, so concert photography doesn't pay very well. And so when I started making money in photography, it was really the food and restaurant side. So I've been doing food and restaurant for not as long as concert photography, but it's getting up there actually for how long I've been doing it. And again, with the area you live in, there's so many restaurants there. I mean, that's got oh, yeah. to keep you busy all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been shooting for so long that most of the restaurants that I did photograph don't exist anymore. Wow. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of turnover in that industry. And I would think um, doing the restaurant photography, um, you would actually be able to leverage a lot of your skills from when you shot concerts. Because again, in restaurants, you're indoors. It's generally low light. So, mm -hmm. the, you know, it's a trickier shooting situation. Now, do you use artificial lighting at all or do you try to just use what you have in the building to work with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would say that I prefer to use natural light if I can, just because it's just a lot easier. It's uh, here in Seattle. It's actually great because we're it's mostly cloudy. And so we have really nice, soft, filtered light. We don't have to worry about having harsh shadows with our natural light. So it's actually great to do photography in Seattle. Um, but like you said, a lot of the restaurants are low light. So there is not a lot of natural light in there. So I've, I've had to learn how to use strobes and speed lights and, and use flash doing doing food photography especially oh and i can imagine now just out of curiosity and if you don't want to tell me you don't have to i don't know if it's like a trade secret or anything <laughs> but is there anything um special that you have to do as part of your food photography because i know one of the tricky things with food photography is you know food's a perishable item so it's only mm -hmm. piping hot and fresh for so many minutes and then it's gone as far as the quality goes so do mm -hmm. you have to use any of the industry techniques to like make things more appealing because, you know, the age is you're trying to get the shoot done, or do you just try to knock them out as quick as you can while everything's still fresh? I try to knock them out as quick as I can. And so, yeah, the best thing you want to do is, you know, before they start bringing food out, you got to have a conversation with the chef or whoever's running the show there and be like, hey, can we have some stand-in models? Can I like do some trials first before you bring out the real thing? So I try to have just one station, maybe two stations where I take photos and kind of swap between the two and then just have my lights dialed down so that when the food comes out, I can just shoot it really quickly before it starts to fall apart. Uh, but that usually takes some communication because sometimes I show up and then they just start bringing food out and I'm like, no, 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 I've got to slow down. <laughs> These things are going to fall apart in a few seconds. <laughs> so yeah, wow. it can be a real challenge for sure. I can imagine. Um, and the reason why I asked you that is because I didn't know, and probably most consumers still don't know. Um, I was listening to some pro food photographers. I mean, these folks have been doing it for decades on the B&H podcast, uh, couple of years ago, I think it was. And I know the one gentleman was talking about how back in the early days of food photography, if they had to shoot mashed potato, or uh, I'm sorry, if they had to shoot ice cream, they actually shot a bowl of mashed potatoes that were dressed up to look like ice cream because ice cream would melt too fast under the studio lighting they had to use. Mm -hmm. So I was just wondering if you had to do any of those tricks or, or if you were just trying to get them not. And your setup sounds great to be able to get the test scenario set up ahead of time and do test shots would definitely make mm -hmm. the work a lot easier. Um, and then, like you said, sometimes you get there and they're already dragging things out of the kitchen for you or even set up. So that would definitely <laughs> that would definitely kind of spoil things. Um, yeah. 
I thought about getting into food photography myself at one time, and it still intrigues me, but I've never really pursued it. I had a friend from high school that lives in Florida. She was going to, she happens to be best friends with the guy that owns Outback Steakhouse, and she was supposed to set up a meeting between me and him, and I was going to see if I could get into doing it for Outback, but it never materialized, so I just went on and started doing other things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The thing with the food photography is that there's like, there's several different types. And so if you go kind of the commercial food routes where you're shooting for like Subway or McDonald's or some of those really big chains where they have really big budgets, then sometimes they will expect you to have, usually it's not me that would do it, but you'd hire a food stylist. Someone would come in and then they work with the chefs to, you know, maybe substitute butter or mashed potatoes for, for ice cream. You know, someone who comes in to figure that out because that's not something that I know how to do. I just know how to work the cameras and make something look pretty, but I don't know the physics or the science behind food and how to make it look nice. And so sometimes the clients do expect that. So that's why for me, it's so important to ask as many questions as I can before we agree on the photo shoot be like, what are your expectations? How do you want this to run? What do you want this to look like? And then you can pick that out ahead of time if that's what they want. And then that's a much more involved photo shoot if they bring in a food stylist to do that. But usually I um, I work with smaller restaurants that don't have budgets like that. So we have to work on you know, a smaller budget and just a smaller team of people. And so we usually are not uh, using a lot of the food photography tricks to uh, make food look nice and, you know, artificial and all that. So... Yeah. Yep. (laughs) And I've heard about the food stylist thing. That's, that's a lot of work right there. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's its own thing. Yeah, exactly. It's so crazy how many sub industries photography actually creates. Mm -hmm. You got to start out with hairstylists and makeup artists for portraits and stuff like that and glamour shots and all this stuff. And now you got Mm -hmm. food stylists and all kinds of other stylists for different types of photography. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just insane how many industries that are actually now attached to photography in one form or another. It's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So with all the uh, like I said, with all the restaurants in your area, that's got to keep you fairly busy. Um, Are you shooting that, you know, pretty much full time during the week or is it um, as people request you? Um, it's pretty much based on requests. And so at this point, like I just know a lot of people. So I used to do more kind of advertising. I used to re- rely more on SEO for my website and bring in people that way. But at this point, it's just, you know, people that I know, they're like, Hey, I know this person, like a friend of a friend needs food photos. And usually it's the owner of a restaurant. So that's how I get a lot of my business. And so it doesn't keep me uh, busy full time, which is fine because, you know, the YouTube thing and uh, the videography thing has also been taking off. But, uh, Prior to COVID, I'd say I was the most busy with, with food and restaurant. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And it's good, though, because like you said, you know, with you doing the the YouTube stuff and other things, it's good to be able to split your time, not get quite mm-hmm. as quite as burned out. But it sounds like you've been doing the food photography in your area enough that you're kind of like the honorary mayor. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the person everybody yeah. goes to when they need food photography. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Oh, goodness. All right. So let's uh, let's shift over into your videography world, because I definitely wanted to talk to you about that. Um, Like I said before, Susie does amazing videos. If you're not already following her channel, which is Gemini Connect on YouTube, and we'll put all the links in the show notes um, so you can watch her work and follow her work because she's doing some really amazing stuff. And now, is it primarily you or are you and your husband doing it together? Because I know I've seen him in some of the videos, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's um, it is the two of us, but he's he still has a full time job that's not related to YouTube, so um, he's busier doing that these days. And so at this point, um, I've taken over the channel primarily, and so he <laughs> steps in occasionally. I try to get him to do more videos because he shoots a Fujifilm even, so he shoots a different system of cameras. And so yeah, I'm trying to get him to do more, but I have more time realistically. So yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know, you get your channel to grow big enough then it might be able to be a full-time job for both of you. That would be really cool. Yeah, that would be great. I know one of the people I've been friends with for years, I've never met her in real life, is Lee. Um, She's known as the Snap Chick on YouTube. She's been around for a long time. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know for the longest time that she was even married because it was always just her and her videos. (laughs) And then then when she started having her husband in some of her videos, you know, just here and there, she always referred to him as her intern. And then later... (laughs) she comes out yeah actually we're married we've been married for years we've got kids (laughs) (laughs) and it was really funny so I think maybe he was doing same as your husband you know he had another job that he had to do full time so he was only able to help her with the photography and the YouTube stuff on a you know on a part-time basis Uh, but it's really cool because I've gotten to be friends uh, via the internet with both Lee and her husband and they're great folks and uh, I love watching their videos as well and like I said she's been doing it a long time um, I think when she started out, uh, she was still single because uh, she started her channel, I think, about 10, 12 years ago. Oh, wow. And okay. one of the things that made and I'm surprised her channel hasn't gotten bigger because she's only had to like 250 or 300,000 subscribers after that many years. And most of the ones that have been doing it that long, like Jared and Tony and Chelsea, they're up to like two million, three million subs now. Uh, and then, of course, you get the freaks of nature like uh, Peter McKinnon up in Canada who comes on YouTube and bam, in like three years, he's up to 14 million subscribers already. Uh-huh. I mean, yep. it's crazy. But uh, I think when she started, if I remember right, she was doing uh, she was basically uh, doing tutorials on boudoir photography. So I think that's what made her channel so popular when she first started out is she was one of the only people that was doing that. And of course, she's a pretty lady and she would be doing a lot of where she was doing her own modeling. So it'd be her nude in the bathtub and stuff like that. You know, of course, nothing showing, but mm-hmm. you know how the Internet is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, but I wanted to ask you about that because I did see uh, your husband's name is Martin, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw him in a couple of your videos, especially the one where you were testing the new Rode um, microphone for that new headphone set of theirs, the NTH-1000M mm-hmm. or 100M or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I saw him in that video and a couple others. So I wasn't sure if he was just helping out part-time. I figured probably he had, you know, another gig he was doing outside your channel. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's great. And, and hopefully you guys will get big enough at some point that you guys can both just concentrate on that and make your living that way. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of our goal. Because yeah, yeah, when we start the channel together, uh, when we started the channel, I actually told him like he's better on camera or just you know more natural in camera. So I thought I was going to be behind the camera filming him all the time. That was the intention. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it's not turned out that way. <laughs> yeah, but you're really good on camera. I mean, don't don't think you aren't. You're fantastic in front of the camera. You do great videos. You speak very well. You've got a good voice for it. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons why your channel's steadily climbing in subscribers is because you're putting out good quality content. You're comfortable. You look like you're fairly comfortable in front of the camera in most all the videos I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it takes time. I'm still a little bit leery about shooting camera, uh, shooting myself in video anyway. So um, my channel's a lot smaller than yours. I've only got like 6,500 people. Um, but 
So let's uh, let's branch out now into the videography part. So you do a lot, a lot of videos on compact camera systems. So let's talk about that a little bit. Now, like myself and a lot of others, you started out, it sounds like, primarily using GoPros. Uh, but I've seen more and more videos lately with people just complaining about all the bugs in the GoPro cameras. They freeze up, they overheat, they randomly shut down and lose your footage. I haven't had those kind of problems with any of my GoPros, and I've been using GoPros since the Hero 3, 2 or 3, I think it was. Wow. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about that because I know you've gotten to the point where you're transitioning more to the DJI action cameras. Yeah, you are so lucky to not have any issues with GoPros. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've had I have had them randomly shut off on me once or twice, but in all the years I've been using them, I figure once or twice isn't that bad. But I've seen yeah. videos where other people are like, it's happening constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were at that point with a few models. Uh, we actually, we originally bought a GoPro Hero 2 back in the day, but I just, I wasn't impressed at all with the video quality back then. But, you know, no, none of the cameras were really that good back in the Hero 2 days. And so we took a long break from GoPro. But when the Hero 7 came out, that was the first one with Hypersmooth, that built-in stabilization that they said was so good, you no longer need a gimbal. And so that sold us to uh, try GoPro again. And uh, I think that was one of the first videos on our channel that really took off was my initial review of the Hero 7. And so uh, based on the success of that, plus we actually really liked the camera at that point. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we went into action cameras and have been with them ever since. Well, and it's nice because you have such a compact setup. I mean, you basically got everything you need and the, the unit fits in the palm of your hand. All you need to do, um, you know, depending on the camera you're using or the attachments you're using, you might need to add on a microphone, um, which you got that covered. And I want to talk to you about that in a little bit. But like I have two Hero 9 Blacks and I just got a Hero 11 not too long ago. And I've got the media mod for those. And I'll tell you, the microphone that's built into the media mod is really good. I was impressed with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that GoPro has been uh, expanding beyond just action camera. Uh, some of you guys probably don't know, but GoPros aren't just for action cameras. And they're actively trying to push it of like, this is for content creators and for vlogging now. And they're selling things like the media mod to uh, enhance audio and all that. So I hope that they keep going in that direction because that's a good thing for, for all of us who want to use our action cameras that way. Yeah, exactly. And what a lot of people don't realize um, is a lot of your scenes, various scenes in movies are actually shot now with action cameras instead of those big, massive cameras that we're used to seeing for Hollywood productions and TV shows, you know, where they have that huge camera that's uh, that's on a stand on the floor and they wheel it around or whatever. But a lot of the action scenes like car chases and stuff like that that are in current movies and TV shows, a lot of people don't realize that most of that footage is done with GoPros mounted on the front of the car or the back of the car or whatever. And a lot of the interior shots when people are in cars is all done with GoPros or some other form of action camera. And then the other big breakthrough for Hollywood was drones. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, you know, a, a studio, uh, Columbia Pictures or Sony or whoever, they can go out now 
And for $5,000, $6,000, they can get one of the, the high-level DJI Inspire 1 drones or whatever, and they can shoot all of their aerial shots for a movie or a TV show using that one five dollars or $6,000 camera. They frequently buy several of them, it's my understanding. So they have them for various projects at a time. But before those drones came out, they had to do all of that videography by renting helicopters. Mm -hmm. And helicopter camera operators and all that. And it was extremely expensive. Yeah, yeah. So the, the compact cameras and the compact camera technology is just phenomenal, not just for people like you and me, but even for Hollywood. I mean, it's an absolute boon for the industry because it's saving them so much money. I know uh, I, for my day job, because I do still have a day job, I work in IT and I work for a company called Virgin Orbit and we're in the aerospace sector. We, we do cube satellite launches and we use GoPros for all of our streaming feeds for, you know, that pertain to the rocket and the plane that launches the rocket, all of that. So we're basically, I don't oh, know, wow. I don't know how many GoPros we sacrifice every time we launch a rocket, <laughs> uh, but it's a few of them. And it's because they're small, they're lightweight, they're reasonably inexpensive, especially when you're a big company. So it just makes sense to go that route. And that's one of the things that really drew me to your channel is because you're doing so much content on the compact camera systems. Yeah, uh, we actually had uh, an engineer from NASA reach out a couple of years ago on email because he had seen my GoPro videos and he was like, yeah, we want to use GoPros to like uh, do something regarding like a spaceship launch. And I was like, wow, I didn't realize that you were going that route. But he asked, actually asked me for advice about what kind of GoPro to get. So yeah, that's that's really, really interesting that uh, GoPros are being used in so many other fields that you wouldn't even think of. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we like I said, we use them for our launches. NASA does now. SpaceX yeah. uses them. There's a lot of aerospace companies that are using GoPros and mm -hmm. other action cameras to do all of this stuff just because... Yeah. They're getting high quality stills or mostly video in a very mm -hmm. compact and lightweight form factor. So it doesn't negatively or adversely affect the, the rocket's payload and all that stuff because the cameras are so small and light, but such high quality. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, um, because I watched your video about it, I emailed you a little bit about it. So let's talk about, because like me, you started out with the GoPros, but I know you're now somewhat transitioning to a different compact action camera system. So let's talk about that now. Yeah. So uh, GoPros, you know, have been around for such a long time. Everybody knows about them. But DJI, the makers of drones, tried to get into the action camera market uh, a while back, actually, with the original DJI Osmo Action. And they released a second follow-up, which I think didn't do so well because they changed the form factor. People weren't too happy with that. But with the recent release of the Osmo Action 3, they went back to being more GoPro-like. And so now I think that people have, you know, two, at least two, you know, there's more options out there as well. Uh, different options for getting action cameras out there, which is good for consumers to have some competition out there. So... Yeah, a lot of people are, are wondering which one is best, GoPro or DJI. And um, I'm still working on a more thorough comparison between the two. Um, but 
so this is where Martin and I kind of disagree because he is still diehard GoPro. He wants the best image quality no matter what. He's willing to deal with these freezing bugs and these issues that we've had with GoPro just because he believes that they have the best image quality, which I agree they do. Um, but I get annoyed with having to reset the GoPro every time it freezes and all these things that interrupt our filming. And so myself and, you know, a good chunk of people that follow our channel are actually like, you know, if it gives you that many problems, like just go over to something that doesn't give you problems, even if it sacrifices some image quality. So that's personally where I'm at, because I do think that the Osmo Action 3 doesn't have, you know, as good of image quality as the GoPro, but it's still good enough, I think. And it doesn't freeze or give me problems. And so I, I prefer that personally. Exactly. And and like I said, in the email exchange we had the other day, that's what I'm thinking about doing because I've been with GoPro a long time. Um, most of my GoPro cameras, I haven't had problems with. I've had a few quirks here and there that really bugged me because I lost great footage and it really ticked me off. Mm -hmm. So I'm seriously thinking about getting a couple of the Osmo Action 3s to replace my two Hero 9s and then just keep the Hero 11. Um, and don't get me wrong. I don't want anybody to think we're bashing either company. GoPro and DJI both make great products. Um, I kind of think that DJI decided to get into the action camera market is like a, a take that because GoPro tried to get into the drone market <laughs> Fair enough. Yep, and, they and they failed miserably. <laughs> their, drone, their drone was a nightmare. Yeah. Um, and I, so I, I kind of, my opinion, I think DJI got into the action camera space just to kind of smack GoPro back into their face a little <laughs> bit. Um, but the thing that's interesting with DJI's Osmo cameras is they make, if I'm, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they make at least two lines because if I remember correctly, they also have a line of the Osmo action cameras that are basically like a little camera that's permanently attached to a powered gimbal. So you buy the whole thing as a single unit. You can't separate it. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, that's uh, what yeah, I thought. So that's the uh, DJI Osmo Pocket. It's not really an action camera, though, because you can't, it's not waterproof. If you drop it, uh, like it'll okay. break. So it's a little bit more fragile. Uh, but it is an entirely kind of different camera line that they've gone with. They've actually taken the little camera that's on their drones and just put it on a little gimbal that you can stick in your pocket. Oh, so, okay. uh, so that's a really nice little camera. Uh, we are, we're all waiting for the Pocket 3 to come out. We expected that to happen late last year. Didn't happen, so maybe this year. There should be a new one coming out relatively soon. Yeah. So that's another option if you don't need the waterproof, uh, tough factor of an action camera. Yeah, that's see, I, I would definitely want that. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I'm not afraid to shoot in extreme weather. And, and I've actually broken bones before getting the shot when doing <laughs> photography. So <laughs> Dedication. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want the tougher stuff so when it when it comes to the their action their fixed action cameras the real action cameras that we were talking about um comparing the two i mean fairly similar they're both waterproof they're both fairly rugged yes yeah yeah uh pretty rugged i to me it, it comes down to gopro has better image quality they've been around a lot longer and you know they also have like a cloud subscription which is really great i've been using that more often to uh, store my my footage online so that's a really great option for going a gopro but to me they've kind of been lacking on the usability aspect of it some of those features have been not so great on gopro and so to me that's where dji is stepping in and they're saying hey we don't do 5k video but we're giving you better ergonomics and just usability is a lot easier you can attach a mic 
microphone without using an adapter, things like that. And so that's to me where DJI is coming in and being like, hey, this is how we're different and doing things better than GoPro. Yeah. And I think I think that's really going to hurt GoPro sales a bit because one of the things that I didn't know DJI was doing now until I watched your video, one of your new videos the other day, is I didn't know DJI has a magnetic mount system for their cameras. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Share a little bit more about that. To me, that's the best feature, actually. And I forgot until you mentioned it, actually. Uh, But yeah, with GoPros, I think we all know there's that GoPro kind of finger mount. So you have to use like a screw. And to their credit, it is very stable. I've never, ever had that break or fail. So if you're going to do super rugged, hardcore action, I think you definitely want that kind of attachment. But it can be a hassle if you want to take it apart. If you want to, if you're using the media mod, you want to change a battery. Like it's just, it's hard if you want to uh, take the GoPro off of that mount. And so DJI came out actually with the Action 2, or the, yeah, the Action 2 is the first one that had it, but they now have a magnetic mount. So it's much faster and easier to uh, change the camera from mount to mount. And so that's something that I don't see GoPro coming out with yet. So it's a nice thing to have on DJI. Exactly. And and when you were talking about GoPro's finger mount, I mean, to give my listeners, if you don't already know, an idea how popular that is. Almost every action company or action camera company on the planet has copied that mount system. Everybody's using it on their cameras, not just GoPro. And it is a good system, but I found out because one of the things I like to do, I ride motorcycle. I have a road bike and I like to put a GoPro on the handlebars and I like to put one on my luggage rack on the back to kind of watch people as I'm driving. Cause especially when I lived in Atlanta, you get some crazy drivers down there. Mm. And so if somebody, you know, illegally changed lanes and tried to run me off the road. I'd have that footage to give to the cops. And the one thing I discovered when I first started mounting GoPros on my motorcycles is even though they seem to be fairly durable, those plastic finger mounts do not hold up on a motorcycle. The, hmm. vi- the vibrations in the handlebar make those fingers snap off. Oh, wow. Now, okay. luckily, I didn't lose my camera, but I was driving into work when I used to work at Turner one day on NBA League Pass, and I had one of the fingers just snap right off while I was going down the highway. And the camera was loose, but not loose enough to come off. You know, it was still mm-hmm. like half held with the anchor system. Um, so after that, I had to go on Amazon and like order third party all aluminum finger mounts for my GoPros mm. um, so I could avoid that. And then the other thing that impressed me that GoPro did do right, and it can be annoying at times, is the fold down fingers on their newer camera bodies. I love that because you don't need a housing to use their finger mount system anymore like you did in the old days. Yeah, that is a good point. That's a nice thing that they started doing. Um, and yeah, that's something that DJI actually does not do, but then they have the magnetic mount now instead. So yeah, I think I'd so. like the magnetic system better, especially if it's a good strong magnet. I mean, does it, I mean, does it hold up really well? Is it really high strength? Well, okay. So I was going to say that we don't really use our action cameras in super hardcore situations. We yeah. mostly use them to vlog. Uh, the most we do is maybe stick it on our car if we're driving, you know, up to 60 miles an hour, but we don't do that too often. So yeah, we haven't, you know, tested it out in super rugged, hardcore situations, but uh, for the, for our purposes, it works out really well. And I think it's pretty strong. That's awesome. I mean, what, yeah. I guess what I kind of was getting at is when you put the two together, do you feel like a good, strong magnetic pull when they're attracted to each other? I think so. And it's not just a magnet. I mean, the magnet kind of helps it, but then it also kind of clicks into place. And so I feel like it's pretty strong. Oh, so it's basically like a double system. 
Yeah, but you definitely want to double check it because if you have it just slightly misplaced, then it's definitely, it, it could fall off. So it, it takes a little bit of practice, I think. But once you get used to it, it, it works out pretty well. Oh, wow. Well, one of the things that I didn't realize GoPro had until the last couple of years, I got hired to do some work for an international studio that was in the work pertaining to motorsports. And I didn't know up until I started doing that project that GoPro actually had an official suction cup mount Mm-hmm. that you can mount on the exterior of your vehicle. And it's funny because I, I ended up buying three of them because of how many cameras I have and all the different views and angles I needed for that project. And on the box, it says rated guaranteed to hold up to 150 miles per hour on, oh, wow. on a vehicle. And I was like, well, there's no place around here where I can legally do 150, <laughs> but I did actually take mine out on the interstates in New York and down here in North Carolina at 80 and filmed it and it did stick to the car like glue i was impressed oh wow okay good to know (laughs) well but there is a there is a little bit of a catch to it you have to it's kind of hard to explain but when you put it on your vehicle you've got to it's almost like you have to set it on just the right way and then flip down that lock or that suction cup will not hold tight because i had a couple of times where i thought i had a lock and i started to walk away and the camera started to fall off the car so that part of it makes me a little bit nervous. <laughs> yeah, we actually just got that suction cup mount uh, like last year when I was in Hawaii, but we didn't get a chance to test it out until a couple of weekends ago. And I found the same thing. I was like, oh, this isn't as easy to use like as I thought. So it took actually a little bit of Googling even of like, how do we actually secure this well? Exactly. So it was a, a little surprising how difficult it was. But once we got it figured out, it worked out really well. Now, if you're if you're like me and you do like to use your cameras with your vehicles, and you haven't already done this or stumbled upon this, one of the best things I found on Amazon, and you have to really look, there's a there's a couple of manufacturers on Amazon that make like suction cup window mounts for the action cameras, where you can put them on the inside of your window or the outside. Mm-hmm. And it's been my experience, the best ones are the companies that sell the, and it's not a huge suction cup mount, not compared to the GoPro's car body mount, it's much smaller. But the ones that I found are the best ones are the ones that have the plastic film on the suction cup and then you oh. peel it off and it's almost like the suction cup has a reusable glue on it okay yeah I think so you're not those. you're yeah. not just relying on the suction action it's got like a glue action and i can tell you from experience there's been a few times where i thought trying to get that back off my windshield was going to break my windshield <laughs> wow that is strong <laughs> they're okay. very strong and the nice thing is if it gets dirty over time you could just wash that suction cup off with water in your kitchen sink or something and it becomes super sticky and clean again okay that's great to know yeah Yeah. those are awesome and they're fairly inexpensive i think i got i ended up buying like three or four of them and i think they were like 15 bucks a piece or something like that oh not bad so they weren't bad at all Mm -hmm. all right so again i want to move a little bit more to the DJI Osmo Action 3. I want to have you share a little bit more on that, your experience with that, because that's the next one I'm looking to go to. And I do want to give my listeners as much information as we can on the two main action cameras. In my opinion, those are the two main companies, GoPro Mm -hmm. and DJI right now. Um, And I know another thing that you've really gotten into and you and in your videos you talk about how good the quality is, is DJI's rechargeable microphone system. Oh, yeah. That portable system. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, the original wireless microphone system out there was the Rode Wireless Go 2. Uh, 
we still have that one and we still use it. Uh, I still like it a lot, but DJI came out with uh, their version of it, like a wireless mic system. And to me, it's better than the Rode because it's smaller, it's more compact, and it comes with a charging case, which the Rode does not. So with the Rode, you have to carry like three different USB cables and like plug them all each, like separately into the wall to charge them. It's kind of a hassle. And so, you know, there are some third party uh, charging cases out there for the road, but they're still pretty bulky. So in terms of uh, the most compact solution, that's still high quality. Like I think that the DJI microphone is the way to go. And so we've been using that more. Uh, You can also use it with uh, regular cameras. You can use it with your computer, with your phone, with action cameras. And so it's just, it's super flexible and it fits in your pocket. Yeah, I love the fact that it's so flexible and the, oh my God, the rechargeable case that's part of the whole system is just the icing on the cake. Yeah. I, I'm definitely yeah. looking to get one of those next. I had the, I have the original wireless go. Mm-hmm. That was just one transmitter and one receiver. And, and I love that. And I used it for a lot of my documentary videos for my other two YouTube channels. And then I got the wireless go to and it came out and it's great because you got two transmitters in the receiver and excuse me, on the uh, wireless go too, a lot of people don't realize the audio actually gets saved on the local device as well. So if something happens that the audio gets jinked up in your camera from the input from the receiver, you still have the audio saved on the transmitters themselves, which is really cool. Now, does DJI do that or is it all strictly up to the camera to save the audio? Yeah, so DJI has that function as well. Uh, you can record internally on the transmitters, and it's pretty easy to to enable it. And it actually saved one of my video uh, projects that I did. I was interviewing another YouTuber, and uh, kind of messed up the audio like towards the end of the video. And so the transmitter saving the audio is actually what saved that video for me. Otherwise, I would have totally lost the audio. So oh, it's a that's great awesome. feature. Yeah. yeah, definitely use it if you have it. <laughs> that's fantastic. But see, now you got me sold. I'm going to have to get that DJI microphone system. And the other thing is, it's not, the price isn't too bad on that. I think when I looked online, they were like $329. And you, yeah. get, two tra- you get two transmitters, the receiver, and the case, right? Yeah, it's a that's little bit more expensive than the Rode. It does not come with, you know, wired lavalier microphones if you want that, but neither does the Rode. So that's like an extra expense, but you can totally just use those uh, microphones and the built-in transmitters and they work out super well. That's awesome. Now, um, and I don't remember, you probably talked about it in your video. I'm sure you did. And I'm just having a brain cramp. Um, what kind of realistic runtime do you get with that system of theirs? Ooh, that is a good question. I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, it's at least several hours, I want to say. Like, in the way that I use it, I've never come close to running out of battery. Oh, that's amazing. That's totally cool. That's one of the big things I loved about the roads, too, is they were so small. And, man, the batteries on them seemed to last a long time. Yeah. Um, Because when I would go, I I have a couple of projects. I've been doing uh, documenting abandoned business buildings in Georgia, North Carolina. Or Georgia and Pennsylvania. I'm sorry. I haven't done North Carolina yet. Um, and I used to shoot all of my videos for those YouTube channels using my Go, my Road Wireless Go. And it was like, man, I could be out shooting for 16 hours before those things would start blinking that they were low on battery. You know, because yeah. I wasn't running them nonstop, but I would get out and film like five, 10 minutes. And then I'd go down the road a couple of miles, find another building, jump out, record another four or five or 10 minutes. And I was doing that all day long in and out of the car, you know, and turning them off in between takes. But Mm -hmm. I was impressed with how small they are that their batteries last so long. So I had a feeling probably the DJIs were the same way. 
Yeah. And the nice thing is they have that charging case. So if you feel the need to, or you need to, you can just pop them in that case, get a little bit more juice out of them and go. And so, yeah, it's a really great solution for, for longer projects like that. Yeah. Cause I, I would think all you'd have to do is just leave the case in the car plugged into mm-hmm. USB-C or whatever into your car. And then you just pop the units back in when you jump back into the car and let them charge till you get to the next site. Yeah, totally. That's totally awesome. Oh, I see. You're getting me to switch over all this stuff. <laughs> You're a bad influence, young lady. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. They say about the channel. They're like, oh, no, more things I have to buy. Oh, <laughs> uh, I absolutely love it. And I've actually bought uh, a few of the items that you had in different videos that you, you've done because I did not know until I watched your one video that you could buy a necklace mount for a GoPro. I had no idea that anybody made one of those. Yeah, I've seen um, several. Di- I've tried out different versions of it. And the one I think it was a Telesyn one I was talking about is yep. is the most stable one that I've tried because in the past, like they wiggle around, they don't actually stay put. But I love that Telesyn. I still use it for whenever I need that POV perspective, which I actually do that quite a bit. So yeah, I can yeah. imagine. I, that was the same model I got was that one you were review, uh, you were testing. And the only thing I've had is for some reason, I frequently have trouble getting it to latch. Like mm. I'll, I'll get it around my neck and then I'll push it in to latch it. And it's almost like I'm not hitting it the right way or something. So sometimes I have to fiddle with that a little bit. But yeah. once it's I, on, it's great. I have the same issue, actually, now that you mention it. It's a little bit tricky to to get it to latch. But once it does, it works out really great. Oh, OK, so it's not just me. In your video, you, no. got it, you got it to like latch every time on the first try. And I was like, either she's really smart, I'm really <laughs> stupid, or <laughs> she only has the clips lot. in there where she got it to work. <laughs> It was a lot of practice. Yeah, I just practiced over and over until I could actually get it. I was like, okay, there we go. <laughs> we got it. Exactly. And I agree with you because I have, I've over the years gotten different accessory kits for the GoPros, you know, either friends or family members have bought them for me or I bought them myself. And I honestly probably have like four of the GoPro body vest things that you can put on to mount your GoPro on your chest. And I just don't like them. There's so much hassle to put on and take yeah. off. And and you got to mess with all that Velcro and all that stuff. And I'm like, oh, it's too much headache. And when you did that video where you were testing out that necklace, I was like, oh, my God, I got to get one of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. And the other one that you um, that you did on your channel that I, I bought because I really loved it is the, uh, I think it's called the Inky Falcon Gimbal. Oh, yeah, gimbal. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like a $129 compact gimbal for, I think that one's the one for action cams and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I love that thing. Oh, my God. I had had a couple of gimbals before. I'm uh, trying to think. I tried the Ronin. Didn't like that. I, well, I don't use gimbals for my big cameras. It was mostly for my, I wanted them for my action cameras, you know, before they started adding hyper smooth and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still like to have one for those cameras as well. And every one I had tried in the past, I ended up sending back because I just didn't like them. They, they mm-hmm. were more complicated than I thought they needed to be to get them balanced and all that. And that inky Falcon, it balances so quick and easy and it just does its job. I absolutely love that thing. Yeah, and it's so small too. So yeah, we still use gimbals uh, mostly in low light because that's when GoPro stabilization just exactly. doesn't really. Uh, all action cameras don't do well in low light. So if you can add a gimbal, it actually looks so much better. Yeah, and of course the reason for that is because the action camera has such a small sensor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're talking on most of them. You're talking a sensor the size of a person's fingernail or or maybe a postage stamp if you're lucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're very mm-hmm. very small, so yeah, they're not going to perform as well in low light. And it's because uh, I have friends in the photography world that shoot micro four thirds, 
and they love it. But that's their kryptonite too, is they're like, yeah, I can't shoot low light unless I can stabilize the camera and I can throw artificial light into the scene. Forget about it. <laughs> yep, I've heard that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, just because of the smaller sensors, they just can't do low light as well. You got to have either full frame for low light or you can get away with APS-C, but it has to be a really, really good sensor because even then the APS-C just can't do as good a job as the 35 millimeter full frame sensor can. Yeah. Just because of the size difference. Yep, that's amazing. And I found another one. There was another gimbal I found. It's kind of a weird name. The company is like Hohem. It's like yep. H-O-H-E-M. But they uh-huh. had an awesome gimbal for your smartphone that I picked up that is so tiny and compact. I mean, it's just an itty bitty thing, but then it unfolds like really big and telescopes and all that. And I really like that one too for using with my iPhone 14 Pro Max. Yeah, Hohim is another great company. They, I feel like they almost specialize in smaller, more compact gimbals because all of their gimbals that I've used anyway have been very small. And so Hohem and Inky are two of the only brands that make gimbals for the newer action cameras. So like the GoPro Hero 9 and above because it's a slightly bigger action camera. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you really only have two options if you need one. Um, but yeah, I, I also love Hohem gimbals, especially for my phone. Yeah. Yeah. They just make fantastic products. You got me, you got me turned on to some new companies and I'm loving it because the stuff I've been getting from is fantastic. It's making <laughs> nice. me a happy camper. Oh yeah. Definitely That's making great. my YouTube easier. <laughs> great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it just sucks being a one man show. That's, that's the bad part. That's the only part oh, I hate. I know. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Not, same here. <laughs> not big enough to be able to hire cinematographers and professional editors to make my YouTube videos look Hollywood quality yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, yeah, pro- I'll probably never why. get there. You'll get there someday. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the reasons why we like the compact gear. It's yeah. uh, just it's much easier for even if even if you have a partner, even when Martin does help me, it's just it's nicer if we can just fit everything into one bag and not carry tons of gear with us and spend tons of time setting it up. It's uh, just so nice to roll with your GoPro and lately I've been just going with my phone even. Yeah. And that's, that was one of the things that I agree with you hundred percent on because the bigger YouTube channels, it's like, yeah, they got cinematographers, they got audio engineers, they got editors and all that stuff, but they're carrying so much darn gear into the field to shoot a video. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think I would honestly ever want to do that. It's like, who, who wants yeah. to have to have a van to carry all your gear to go out and shoot a YouTube video? Yeah. I mean, some people are still going out with like mirrorless cameras and there's nothing wrong with that. But the yeah. thing is like, you don't have to anymore. So if you're just starting out, like you don't need to buy or spend thousands of dollars on cameras. Uh, these smaller cameras, your phones are doing so well. It's just by themselves. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, some of these YouTubers have gone nuts, like uh, Marquez Lee Brown. I, I'm sure you've oh, heard gosh. of him. Yes. I mm-hmm. know I saw one of his videos, I think it was about a year ago, where he just bought some new red video camera to put in his permanent YouTube studio. And oh, it was gee. and it was going to be mounted on an overhead crane for those point of view shots in his videos. Oh, gosh. And that one camera was like $150,000. And he's got like six of those cameras in his YouTube studio. I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's making crazy money off YouTube. He's just on another level there. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, man, I couldn't imagine having a million dollars in video cameras in my studio. Right. I don't I I don't know. I just don't think I'd ever want to be that big as far as equipment wise. To me, it's. It's not only a lot of expense, and if you're making, you know, a few million dollars a year on YouTube, that's fine. But mm-hmm. I don't know if I'd want to have to deal with all that huge gear. I think I, I just, would rather yeah. stay more compact. 
Yeah. I was just thinking that I was like, you know, even if I made enough money to afford those cameras, I don't know that I'd spend it that way. I think I'd rather go travel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> travel there you go. See, you think like I do, I'd rather use that money and go visit Stonehenge. I'm a Scott Irish descent. So I would love to get to the UK. I haven't been there yet. I would love to go to Australia. Uh, I'd love to go to some of the Asian countries, Japan, China. You know, I'd love to visit all those places with my camera. That's where I'd be spending my millions instead of on all these crazy big studio cameras that Hollywood uses. Yep. Same here. Yep. Oh, it's just crazy. Some of the, uh, like I said, some of them just gone totally overboard. Uh, in my opinion, anyways, I, they make great videos. Don't get me wrong. And they put out basically Hollywood quality videos. Um, but man, just all that equipment to me is just overkill. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, and I know a lot of them do it. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not. It was something Tony Northrup talked about not too long ago on his channel is you have so many of these YouTubers like Marcus Lee Brown, and I'm not picking on him. He makes great videos. I love his videos. Um, Or Peter McKinnon and a lot of these other big YouTubers, their big thing is, oh, everything's got to be shot in 4K, 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 4K. And, you know, it's been almost, or it's been like six years since 4K came out and 98% of YouTube videos are still done in 1080p. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, another thing that Martin and I disagree on. Of he wants everything in 4K, the highest quality, and I'm just <laughs> like, so when we film together, like we, I make some compromises, and I'm like, okay, fine, we'll we'll do it your way. Um, but when I'm filming myself, I'm like, you know, I'm fine with 1080. It's faster, it's smaller to store. Exactly. That's what most people are. Most people are watching it on their phone. Yeah, so I exactly. Don't really care. <laughs> yep. Well, and then the other thing is the 4K. Yes, the quality is nice. But the files are massive. They take yeah. forever to edit because they're so big. And you've got to have ridiculously powerful computers to edit those files. And mm-hmm. then you got and then you gotta have massive external storage to store them all. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot more work, a lot more expense. Um, I would just say that w- when we do travel is when I, I kind of relent and I'm like, okay, we're going somewhere special. I want to capture this in the highest quality resolution because we may not come back here. And so for our travel vlogs, I I agree with Martin of like, okay, we want this to be shot in the highest resolution possible. But for these gear videos, I'm like, it's fine. 1080 is totally fine. <laughs> well, I agree with you there. That's actually very logical. I could see myself, you know, like if I finally get to Australia, someplace I've always wanted to go to. Yeah, I would probably shoot all my stuff in 4K while I was down there. But the rest of the time, 1080p is plenty, plenty good enough. Yep. Yep. I totally agree. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, there was something else I was going to ask you real quick before we wrap up, because we've gone just about an hour and I don't want to keep you too long. Oh, wow. I don't know how much time you. Well, it's funny because uh, one of my other friends, Skip Cohen from Skip Cohen University, um, he used to do a podcast every week with uh, another with a young lady named Shamira. And they were on the Photo Foco, Photo Focus podcast. And when they did interviews, he said they found over the years that they were doing them that if they did 35 to 40 minute interviews, that was where they got their most downloads. Anything longer, nobody seemed to like and anything shorter, nobody seemed to like. And I was telling Skip, I'm like, that's so weird because my most popular episodes are my longest ones. Oh, really? Yeah. I actually had one of my photography professors come on my show. She's been on a couple of times. And the second time she came on to talk about ethics in photography, um, that episode ran like two hours in 40 minutes in the first wow. 24 hours. It was up. It got like 10,000 downloads. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> so all of my long interview episodes are just incredibly popular. 
Wow. Yeah. It's yeah, crazy. Time life. I didn't realize it was an hour. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we've been talking about a lot of great stuff because yeah. it's great having you on because you're able to touch on so many topics that I've been wanting to cover on my show. We've gotten in food photography. We've gotten in to talk about the Sony system. We've gotten to talk about the action camera systems and microphones. And uh, so you cover, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show because you can cover so many topics. <laughs> it's just, it's awesome. Um, I know there was something else I was going to ask you related to vlogging, and I'm trying to remember what it was. We talked about the the DJI cameras and their microphone system. Um, and I was going to ask you about something else, and I can't remember now what it was. Hmm. Uh, are, oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Are you using any artificial lighting systems for any of your videos when you go out? Usually not, um, because we we know the restrictions of action cameras and that they don't do so well in low light. So we really just shoot during the daytime. And um, yeah, we, that's usually enough light. Uh, sometimes we'll bring some artificial light and that light, whatever we're using, changes because I'm always finding new ones to try out. And I honestly haven't found one that I love. So, well, no, that's that's not true. There's a Loom Cube. I really like Loom Cube. That's the one that we'll bring with us a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's really helpful for shooting indoors, especially because when we do travel vlogs, um, because I like food so much, uh, we, we, <laughs> we tend to shoot in restaurants and we tend to highlight food. And so food almost always looks better if you can use some light. If you don't have good natural lighting, then you want to have artificial light because it just makes the food pop and look so much better. Yeah, exactly. Well, I had a couple of the GoPro light mods and they're decent. But then I found a company recently on Amazon that had a really big rechargeable light to use with your GoPros. And it had like four LED elements in it stacked. Oh, wow. And it even comes with a nice little, um, I want to say it's like a T-bar attachment that's got the GoPro fingers on both ends. So you can put your GoPro on one side and the light on the other side and they butt right up against each other nicely. And that thing throws a ton of light. It's got a massive rechargeable battery in it. And with the four elements, you can just get ridiculously powerful light out of that thing. And I think the unit was like 35 bucks or something like that. Wow. Okay. And it just, it throws incredible light. And I do use them from time to time only because I have a building that I'm in the process of turning into my YouTube and podcasting studio, but it's been a slow process because, you know, I've been doing all kinds of other things. We remodeled the house after we first bought it two years ago, and then my wife's been battling leukemia. Um, mm. So my building, my studio building's gotten delayed, so I tend to shoot a lot of my videos outdoors like you do, or I'll go to the Mayo Lake Park, which isn't too far from my house, and shoot at the gazebo there. Um, but a lot of times, even during the daytime, if I sit under there at one of the picnic cables, there's so much shade, I've got to throw some artificial lighting in so you can see me on my YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just curious if you were using any kind of lighting for that. I didn't think you probably were because you you tend to do everything outdoors like I do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I haven't seen you shoot a lot of videos like undercover outside or anything like that. You're usually right out in the direct light. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so that's, I guess, the travel vlogs are from shooting outside. But if I am doing things inside the studio, I do have a giant light. I don't remember which brand it even is. But yeah, I, I have it for indoor um, 
the indoor gear review uh, videos, I guess. I am using some artificial oh, yeah. lighting. Yeah, you're probably using a good size light with like a soft box on it or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I it took imagine. a lot of trial and error to find the right uh, lights and the way to use the lights indoors. Uh, it's just different from photography. It's like I knew I know speed light so well, but with video lighting, it, it took me a while. Because if you yeah. look at some of the earlier videos, I'm like, oh, that lighting was horrible. Like, what was I thinking? <laughs> so I think it's gotten a lot better. Still not perfect, but better than than when I first started. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the lighting in your in your indoor review videos has been really good. I mean, you can you know the room looks nice and bright and everything, and you know you've got good lighting on your face that's soft and not harsh. So I mean, to me, it looks really good. Um, I have for my photography work, and I haven't been doing this kind of photography for a little while now, but I had gotten a set of the Paul C. Buff Digi Bees. They're mm, it's newer yeah, yeah. generation of LED lights. They're not cheap, but they okay. are phenomenal lights. And the amount of lighting power you get out of these units for as reasonably small as they are is phenomenal. And you can use them out in the field. There's an optional. Uh, but again, you're talking adding on to your load because there's an optional satchel you can get that has a good size battery bank in it that you can plug those strobes into and use them all day, like on a beach or something like that. (laughs) But the ones that are really kicking butt now with portable lighting, Godox. Yes. Oh my God. I went, I got rid of all, when I was still shooting Canon, I got rid of all my Canon speed lights, went to all Godox stuff because their speed lights are cheaper they're mm-hmm. just as good a build quality, just as good a light quality. And then what really sold me with them was they started coming out with models that had massive lithium ion batteries in them Yep, that were yep. rechargeable because I was so sick and tired of dealing with AA batteries. Oh, yeah. my God, that drove me crazy. And now Godox has the, I haven't gotten them yet, but they're on my wish list. They have these AD200 and AD400 Pro which is basically like a super compact but super powerful mono light mm-hmm. that you can use in your studio or out on location. They're, I think they're like 300 bucks a piece, so they're not cheap, but they're not ridiculously expensive compared to uh, Bron Color or somebody like that or Ellen Chrome that's charging like $1,500 for one studio light. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a massive lithium-ion battery in them, so you can take them out and shoot all day long, and you don't need to worry about have, being able to plug in somewhere. So I'm definitely nice. looking at getting a set of those to add to my kit as well. And they're super yeah, lightweight. I haven't tried those out, but I do have some colleagues that use them and yeah, they just love them. Uh, I only switched over to Godox like last year. I was using my Canon speed lights on my Sony's for so long. And finally <laughs> it was those AA batteries. Like you're right. Like I got so annoyed with having to charge them and then they die so quickly. So it was that lithium ion battery where I was like, you know what? Let me just switch everything over to Godox. And exactly. I have not been sad about that decision at all. Oh, either. it was the best thing I did. Because <laughs> yeah. um, for quite a few years i shot a lot of real estate photography i would photograph um empty homes for these you know basically these corporations that own all these subdivisions and they rent all the houses out mm-hmm. um so i did a lot of that stuff for the last most of the last seven years i did a lot of that kind of work and man the godox was just so much better because i could take just one godox with me with that lithium pack that it came with and one battery and speed light would last me an entire 16 hour day and i'd yeah, still have power left yeah, it was just way more convenient. Crazy, crazy more convenient, especially than dealing with all. And I have a ton of those any loop rechargeable double A's, but it was just still too much hassle. 
Oh yeah. Put them in those cannon speed lights. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They just weren't efficient. I don't know. I'm just, I'm over the cannon. I still, I'm trying to sell them and get rid of the old models, but yeah, I I love those Godox flashes so much. Oh, if if nothing else, trade in your old speed lights to somebody like Adorama or KEH and use use the money or the credit to buy something new you want for your YouTubing. That's a good idea. (laughs) That's what I do. Nice. Yeah. That's a good good option <laughs> absolutely yeah and i i've had really good luck dealing with adorama i uh i used them when i went from canon dslr to all canon mirrorless system and then uh because of damage in my arms because i shot sports for many years with like 1d bodies with 200 300 400 millimeter prime lenses that I have a lot of nerve damage in my arms and stuff. So I had to go to a smaller system. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I always loved Fujifilm. Fuji and Canon were always my two favorite camera systems. And I've used them both off and on most of the 32 years I've been shooting. And mm-hmm. I did, when I, when I did the transition from Canon mirrorless to Fujifilm, I got lucky. We had just moved to North Carolina and there was an awesome camera shop down in Raleigh, which is only an hour and a half away. And I went down there and traded in all my gear to them. And I got mm-hmm. all I got all new Fujifilm gear from them. But I've had a lot of luck doing it. Business with both Adorama and KEH. So that's an option for you right there if you want to get rid of some of that old Canon stuff. Yeah, nice. Uh, I've been using Facebook Marketplace a lot. And um, there's another one, Gear Focus, I think. So uh, I had some luck getting, uh, selling some gear last year, but I've definitely like, it just keeps piling up. I've got so much (laughs) stuff that I need to try to get rid of somehow. And it's like, I don't want to just give it away to Goodwill or something. It's like, I want it to go to someone that's actually going to use this gear. So uh, it's a video topic that I have in mind, actually, is that whole process of selling uh, camera gear and even buying use camera gear because i do that quite a bit too oh yeah absolutely nothing wrong with that especially if you go to the right kind of sources i'm always leery i i had good luck with it in the past when i shot can dslr i bought some lenses and even some backup camera bodies off craigslist and had good luck mm-hmm. but it's over the last few years just craigslist and facebook marketplace are just insane they're full of spammers and scammers you can put a posting on there and say look local meet and sale only cash only and you get nine million people that text you will you ship this to yeah. indonesia or will you ship this to bangalore it's like no which says local only uh-huh. <laughs> i'm uh-huh. not falling for your scam yeah yeah, I agree about Craigslist. That was like, you know, maybe five, 10 years ago, I used Craigslist and, you know, was really good about buying and selling used camera gear, but it's not the place anymore. Nah, <laughs> it is exactly. full of scams. Facebook can be bad, but could also be very good. I've gotten some really good uh, sales off of Facebook. Um, they actually make it very easy to ship gear. I think it has to be under $1,000 though. So if it's like a smaller um, item that's not so expensive, you can kind of verify that the person's real and they help you ship it really well and um, it's a little bit easier to get to sniff out the scams that way, but you definitely have to be a little savvy. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, (laughs) because there's a lot of them out there. That's why I think anymore it's just safer to just send your stuff to KEH or Adorama or B&H, somebody like that. You know know you're going to take a hit on your gear. It's used gear. Mm -hmm. They they can only give you so much because then they got to turn around and mark it up and resell it, and they've got to pay all their people to do all that work. So, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like you take a hit, but it's like, what are you going to do? There's yeah, no, exactly. nothing you can do. You got to take the hit. So I've taken the hit a couple times and it's yeah. not fun. Trust me. 
Yeah, me too. When I switched over from Canon to Sony, uh, I had so much Canon gear. I was like, you know what? I don't want to bother with this whole thing of trying to sell it myself. So I took it to my local camera store. I knew I wasn't going to get a good rate for it, but traded it all in for one Sony lens. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. All worth. of it for one lens. <laughs> Let me guess. It must have been one of the G Master lenses, right? It was. It was the 7200. <laughs> and, you know, oh, wow. my gear was old and I had bought, you know, I'd bought it all secondhand. So it wasn't the worst. That's why I wasn't you know, so happy to try to sell it myself. I was like, you know what? I'll take whatever they give me for it. Just get it off my hands. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely understandable. Well, the good thing is yeah. being you're in a larger metropolitan area. Um, if you had older stuff, like you were saying, you don't want to just send it to Goodwill or something like that. You could probably donate some of your older stuff that still works to like local photography uh, curriculums and local schools or something like like a high school or something like that. That's I know a great idea, actually. Yeah. yeah, I know they're generally always looking for an easier way to get, you know, extra gear for the photography students in high school or middle school or whatever. Um, so that's a good thing you could do with it as well. Okay. Yeah, I will add that to my list of things to do because, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really great idea. Yeah, one of the things that impressed me that Jared from Fernos Photo started doing is he started a, a photography uh, nonprofit. Uh, it's called Fund a Photographer, and he's actually gotten brand new bodies from Canon and Sony and Nikon that he just turns around and gives away to school, you know, high school kids. And he's given a bunch of gear to different high schools because they lost their gear in a fire at the school or something like that. And I thought that was a really cool thing that he was doing. And it's all brand new gear that he's getting donated by the camera manufacturers. And then he turns around and gives it away. Oh, nice. Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah, that looks really good. I'll have to look more into that. Yeah, I love it. He but does yeah, some really idea. He does some really cool stuff, but he's a little bit zany sometimes, too. Yeah, <laughs> certain personality. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Susie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, trust me, this episode is going to be popular because, like I said, I've got so many photography students that listen to this show that are into both photography and a lot more, especially today, because video just keeps growing every year. It's insane how much video keeps growing. And so I know this episode is going to be super popular to all those students that are looking to do photography and videography. You know, a lot of them are probably going to do YouTube channels like you and I are doing. So mm -hmm. they're going to love all the information you were able to share with them today. And I really appreciate it. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've uh, had a great time and learned a few new things myself. <laughs> uh, now, if you have any, all of your social media stuff, your website, all this stuff, shoot me an email. If I don't, I think I have it in your signature, but I'll double check. Okay, um, sure. I'll make sure I put all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, I don't know if I told you or not, but I just revamped the podcast site. It's really nice now. Um, I actually moved it to a company that specializes in podcast website hosting, not the, not the files, just the website itself. Mm. And they gave me a really good deal for a whole year of hosting and their and their templates are fantastic. They're kind of like the Squarespace for podcasters. And okay. uh, so my site looks really awesome now and all your stuff's going to get shared on there. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you very much. And thank your husband as well. Tell him I always enjoy seeing him in the videos. He needs to get on camera more. <laughs> oh, I do. <laughs> and, I and I love seeing your little one, too. I've seen your little one in a couple of the videos, too. Yeah, he's our, our, our uh, 
test subject lately. <laughs> so if I have new gear, I'm like, okay, you're going to be my subject. Your gear <laughs> guinea pig. <laughs> yep. Doesn't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Not old enough to argue with mom yet. Yeah, right. Not yet. Get a car. <laughs> All right, Susie. Well, again, thank you for your time. Well, I'll let you go and uh, maybe we can do another one down the road. That would be awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful weekend. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, folks, and there you have it, episode 314 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank Susie Pratt once again for being so wonderful to come on the show. She is a wealth of information in photography, videography, microphones, YouTubing, content creation in general. The girl, the lady, excuse me, she does it all, and she's incredible at it. She's super talented. If you're not already subscribed to Gemini Connect on YouTube and Instagram. You need to get on there and get following her and her husband and all the great stuff they're doing because they have some phenomenal content. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at ForgottenPiecesOfGeorgia.com and ForgottenPiecesOfPennsylvania.com. All right, now I want to thank my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. I have not only revamped the podcast website, you need to check it out, but I have all the listen links. The show is currently on like 16 different podcasting uh, podcatcher systems, whatever you want to call it. Um, you can find all those links on the homepage of the new website. Also, make sure you get your entries in for my latest contest giveaway where I'm giving away a Platypod Extreme flat tripod, courtesy of the good folks at platypod.com. They are not sponsors of the show. I don't want you to think that. Full transparency. They sponsored the get, or the, the prize for this contest. So that's why they're getting plugs because they donated the prize that I'm giving away. So make sure you get your entries in for that. You can find the link to the contest in the show notes for this episode as well as in any of my most recent YouTube videos description. Please also remember to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when the next one drops. And I will see you all again on Sunday. <laughs>